two lit chicks book bites Julia and Ed. Uju Asika is a popular blogger, writer, and speaker with a background in journalism and TV screenwriting. She is the author of Bringing Up Race, How to Raise a Kind Child in a Prejudiced World, and the picture book A World for Me and You. Her new book, Raising Boys Who Do Better, A Hopeful Guide for a New Generation, was published by DK this month. Born in Nigeria, Uju grew up in the UK and has worked in London, New York, and Lagos. She lives in London with her husband, Abiye, and two teenage sons. In her spare time, Uju is a books and Netflix binger, who isn't, kitchen raver, and arsenal sufferhead. <laughs> What's an arsenal sufferhead? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I identify as an arsenal sufferhead because uh, a sufferhead is like a Nigerian term. Okay. And uh, there's a very famous Nigerian musician called Fela, and he wrote a song called Original Sufferhead. And it's basically just about the kind of like day to day suffering, like <laughs> you take, you take on <laughs> in life as a, as a everyday citizen of Nigeria. And so as a citizen of Arsenal, I, I encounter this everyday suffering. A masochist. Yeah. The last, last season was pretty good, I have to say, but then. <laughs> Yeah, we, we came to a sticky end. But anyway, oh. <laughs> I'm faithful. <laughs> it was pretty good, but then you had the horrible sort of slow yeah. realisation that it, it was, was all for nothing. <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm moving it in. That's what I'm saying, sorry. <laughs> You're not a Tottenham supporter, are you, by any chance? I hope not, because we're going to No, have I, can't, I can't talk. I'm... I'm I'm a United fan, so we're doing, you know, we're just in oh, well, slow, but, slow yeah. purgatory, <laughs> so I can't talk. I won't say anything. I'll just keep quiet. I am so glad I don't care about football at all. But anyway, <laughs> um, thank you so much for joining us on the show. And, you know, you have written an amazing book, Raising Boys Who Do Better. And as a mother of a boy myself, you know, I've been dipping in and out of the book and just nodding my head along and laughing. And, you know, so tell me, tell me, why did you write this book? Yeah, why did I write this book? This is a question I asked myself many times as I was writing it. <laughs> why? Why have I done this? <laughs> For what purpose, Uju? Um, yeah, you know, I've got uh, two sons myself. I've got a stepson. Um, my stepson's now in his 20s, my sons are teenagers, and I was really kind of grappling with this question of, you know, what do we do about modern masculinity, <laughs> especially mm. as a mum, like, how do we raise boys who can mm. just, like I said, do better, you know, do better within themselves, do better within their friendships, their relationships, you know, and the, and the world out there, so... Um, yeah, that's kind of the the crux of it. <laughs> the crux of it. And so who who is the book for? Who have you written it for? I've written it for, well, other parents, obviously. Um, mainly, I would say mothers, because there's quite a few books out there about raising boys. And some of them are written by guys or by fathers. And I felt like there wasn't that much coming from the maternal perspective. So... Um, I've written it for other parents, other caregivers, um, for educators, but really for anybody. Like if you've got a boy in your life, if you've been a boy, if you identify as a boy, you know, I feel like there's something in it because I'm sort of grappling with ideas that, that affect all of us. It's that we're at an interesting point, aren't we, in the history of humanity where 
we have these thoughts now about what is toxic masculinity and um what do you think about that term toxic masculinity yeah it's it's uh it's a tricky one it's one of those phrases that i tried not to use too much because i don't love buzzwords mm. and i think they can distract from the message and also it's kind of controversial because even when i spoke to my sons about it i interviewed them and i'm like what do you think about the term toxic masculinity and for them it just feels very negative so they understand it in the abstract mm. like they were able to sort of speak quite eloquently about what it means to be toxic you know as as a male like these sort of male ideas of what it means to be a man that have been handed down through the generations and mm. how this can really limit you so they understood it on the abstract but i think on a personal level it's still one of these phrases that just doesn't quite sit that well with a lot of boys and a lot of guys um so yeah, it's it's something that I, I explored a bit in the book, but I don't sort of lean on it. Mm. Although I have to say, when I was recording the audiobook, I really regretted that phrase. <laughs> it was a very hard <laughs> phrase to say over and over again. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so you read your own um, audio, did you? I read my own audiobook, yeah. And Ooh. yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. Yeah, God, it must take so much time and you must have to drink a lot of water. <laughs> A lot of water. <laughs> I tell you, the worst thing about the recording the audiobook is that you, it's, it gets to that point where your stomach starts rumbling, or at least my stomach starts rumbling. <laughs> so, like, so I'm just sitting there, like trying to like hold my stomach together as I'm speaking uh, into the mic, and it's yeah. To pretend it's, it's a book sound effects or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's what I said with my my first book. I was like, this book is recorded by Uju and her stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got both a daughter and a son. I mean, I, th I think that parents like you and me, you know, we're, we're trying to do the best by our boys. We are trying to educate them, as you've pointed out in your book, is that's what's important. It's not about protecting our daughters. It's about educating our sons. What's your top advice? I mean, how do we, how do, we do it? <laughs> Providing examples, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, it always start, I always go back to just conversations, you know, like I think pretty much all my books are about the central idea that we need to have these conversations with our kids, even if they're mm. difficult, even if they're awkward, even if they make us really uncomfortable, um, even if we've never done it before, like we just need to start. And the whole idea of these conversations is a... Uh, you don't have to start from a place of like, okay, I just have to like create this lecture around this topic and mm. inform you about everything and sit you down for, you know, this one big chat. It's about a constant series of conversations. And, mm. you know, especially with teenagers, like teenage boys, <laughs> they're not, you know, not necessarily always going to sit down for, for a long conversation. So for me, a conversation can be like literally just a quick question, you know, a chat, a, a little interruption in a moment. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I always say like sort of use the, the everyday prompts that are around you. So like when your kids are really little, um, picture books and books are really useful conversation starters. And then mm. when they get older, you know, TV, like I watch a lot of TV, you know, we watch TV as 
as a family. I watch shows with my sons. And, you know, we have conversations. They actually make fun of me because, like, we'll be watching a show like Grownish and then, you know, I'll pause the show and they're like, oh my God. <laughs> it's a teachable moment. Like, yeah, exactly. He's like, here she goes. <laughs> here comes another one. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's fine. I don't mind. Like, they make fun of me every day. So, <laughs> it's just, in between the farting and the man spreading. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, I wanted to pick up on something you just said there. You mentioned reading. Mm. Um, you mentioned mm. this in your, in your book. You say that reading literature is shown to increase empathy, open mindedness, self awareness, and mental well being. Quite simply, mm. books build better humans. Um, I mean, that, that's such a good point. But I wonder because all the data shows that it, it's by class. So the working working class families tend to read less to their children so obviously there's mm. lots of reasons for that um how so how how do we get these boys reading more do you think yeah i mean you're completely right you know the combination of like different factors what kind of background you come from you know what your upbringing was what you have available and also boys in particular a lot of studies show that boys you know, aren't reading as much. And during lockdown, during the pandemic, that even, they even fell behind even further, um, mm. according to a report. So, uh, one of the things that experts recommend is audiobooks. So, um, you know, cause boys are shown to like, sort of like listening to podcasts a lot and that kind of thing. So you can sort of get an audiobook and you can um, sort of get audiobooks from the library. So really using your local library. I feel like libraries are really kind of underfunded and underappreciated in general. But, you know, I know that for me, especially when my boys were little, like the library was just like a safe haven. And that's one of the places where they really learn to sort of love books. Um, my youngest used to eat books. So I used to like go into that was a challenge. Like, yeah, exactly. Stop him from chewing on the library books. But, you know, I'm glad you're enjoying the book. Yeah, so, one way to get the information. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's really about access. And, you know, there's some great charities like Book Trust um, that are sort of doing their best to provide um, to make books accessible and available in more areas. So, uh, yeah, it's just, and one thing that's also happening, I think this summer I saw a campaign where they're trying to get dads to read more to their kids as well, mm. because there's also something about having a male presence reading that creates that representation for boys, um, to, to pick up a book. No, oh, that's a great point. Uh, we spoke a little bit about Andrew Tate in one of our uh, last week's episode with Lindsay Kelk. And mm. it, it's kind of scary, you know, seeing how quickly his ugh, poison just spread throughout mm. the school. So they would go to school and their friends would be talking about it, you know. So it's obviously not something that you're showing them at home or letting them watch at home. But, you know, it, mm. it's it's not it's, it's hard when, you know, they're older, you're not the only influence on their life anymore. So how do you talk to them about that? And how do you talk to them about sex and consent and 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 respect towards women and and all that? Yeah, I mean, the, the, big <laughs> the question. Andrew Tate. Yeah, I know, big question. The Andrew Tate, I mean, first of all, I'm just so tired of <laughs> hearing his name. I Sometimes know, I call him I that man called oh. Andrew. You know, yeah. <laughs> he shall not the be named. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's a difficult one. I mean, the first time, because I hadn't even heard about Andrew Tate until 
when was it sort of late last year when I was writing the book and mm. I read an article and I thought my goodness so I asked my son and his initial response was just oh yeah he's funny so I'm like <sighs> Is he funny? <laughs> How is he funny? Is he a comedian? Like, what is you know, what makes him so amusing? And so we had this conversation. Obviously, I've included, um, you know, some of these conversations in the book to show mm-hmm. that I don't always get it right either. Like, I sort of, I went into lecture mode. And sometimes that's going to happen because mm-hmm. it feels really fraught and really kind of emotional. And you're not always going to be able to, like, control your feelings around a topic. But um, that's okay. <laughs> it's, like I said, it's continuing these conversations and just asking the questions so that they get to think about things in a different way you know so it's not just like oh Andrew Tate yeah he's just some funny guy who says stuff it's like okay why is he saying this stuff and for me one of the things was like why is he at the top of your feed that's a question that I think is really important like Mm. why is he being sort of platformed by these sort of social media engines that are supposed to be egalitarian and democratic and all of this kind of stuff you know why is this the number one guy Mm. and um yeah so it was it was interesting to see how our conversations have evolved over that time and I think the same thing you know in terms of talking about sex and power and consent is just to to be ready to have those conversations and also Mm. to pick your mood you know um like pick you know pick your timing because like it's about mood I was I wrote about when my son came home and I'd just been reading on the website Everyone's Invited, which really shares about horrific incidences of sort of sexual violence happening in school. So I'd been reading it and I was like, oh my God. And my son comes home and I'm like trying to have this big chat with him. And he's like, listen, mom, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ready for this chat now. I know all about consent. We did it at school. And he left the room and I was like, okay. <laughs> all right, so uh, how do I approach this? And we just picked it up another time, you know, a different, a different conversation. And yeah, we've just been able to keep, keep going with that. I think the, the other problem with people like that man um, is that they're modeling this idea of building platforms on hate it's, and it's in modeling a career, mm. you know, so that mm. kids look at this and they think, oh, I could be big on YouTube, you know, I could say crazy mm. shit and, you know, and get myself a platform because as we've learned through having the internet, there's always somebody out there who shares your crazy opinion. Um, and it sort of brought them all together. So I, I mean, personally, I just think that's another scary side of um you know this whole celebrity and everyone's got an opinion whatever anyway so it's it's hard enough raising boys yeah um making sure that they are going to be allies to all the groups that need allies and but you also have the added challenge of the fact that you're raising black boys so mm. can you talk a little bit about what as a mother you feel you have to be conscious of because you're specifically raising black boys yeah yeah I mean I don't know there's so many layers and like you said you know parenting is hard enough mm. um mothering boys is hard. and then raising black boys in a society that just boxes them in you know Mm. I talk a lot about this idea of a man box which is a sort of a a term that's come through over decades which talks about how masculinity can box um, boys in and box men into certain codes of how to be you know be strong be brave don't be emotional all of that 
And then the black men books, I would say, you know, boxes them in even further, you know, so it's almost like, I don't know, you feel like your sons aren't really seen as just regular humans, just Mm -hmm. ordinary, everyday goofy fun kids um i was uh on on the radio yesterday talking about the stephen lawrence case Mm. and then connecting it to um this 17 year old boy niall m who was shot by police in france uh this week and it's it's provoked all these riots Mm. and it's interesting because you know i heard someone a french journalist talking about how she was, uh, and she was white, and she's saying, you know, they're all so confused as to why people are this upset. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, if you are the mother of a a black boy, you know, no matter how he looks, my son is 17, and he's got a very deep voice now, and he's much taller than me, and he sort of cuddles me against his chest. And <laughs> it's very Aww. funny, but like... He, he's a boy, you know, and he's he's my child and he's my baby. And I know that in certain circumstances, he's not going to be seen in that way. And he's not going to be seen with his full humanity. So, um, yeah, it's, it's I don't have the, the easy answers. All I can say is that when I write, and that's possibly why I have so many anecdotes about my, my sons, you know, and on my blog and in my books, it's really just trying to humanize them you know remind people that these are just they're just regular kids like yours yeah it's just people so they deserve to be treated as such i remember seeing um a picture on the internet at some point it was of a young uh, black boy and it was a mother you know who wrote a long thing and she said you know at what point does he stop being this cute boy because everyone looks at him says oh he's so cute Mm. to turning into this threat all of a sudden Mm. you know what what is that point where that switch just happens and it's horrible you know it's it's something that you know we all should be aware of and um i don't know what the answer is either (laughs) yeah um, i mean i wrote about that specifically in um you know my first book bringing up race because mm. of a conversation so now uh my son is 17 he was 13 then and he spoke to me about the way people look at him on the bus and mm. how it upset him that sort of so sometimes if he's wearing school uniform it's not as bad but if he was like just sitting by himself and you know happened to be wearing let's say a hoodie he would just catch these looks of people staring at him as if he'd done something wrong or was about to do something wrong and you know it's quite painful because you think well mm. It was only yesterday that you guys were like smiling at him. He was this cute mm. toddler, you know, you used to sort of laugh and high five him in the street. And now you're staring at him as if he's, you know, he's some kind of, uh, I don't know, he's both a, a criminal and a, a target. I don't know. Mm. It's, it's, yeah, it's tricky. It's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. What um, um, Can I just ask, what do you think about the impact of, of class and income on all this because we we've mentioned race and we mentioned mm. gender but mm. i feel like going back to andrew tate thing i mean my personal theory on that is that it's down to the current drop in living it's partly down to the current drop in living standards i every mm. time you get a generation who feel like they can't um progress who feel like their incomes are going down etc that's when mm. you tend to get 
hate in other forms because what they're really angry mm. about is the economic injustice. I mean, I might be wrong, but that's, you know, that's, that's one of the theories out there. And if you look at white working class boys in particular, there are certain areas of the country now where they're actually the, in terms of educational attainment, they're actually doing the worst, the white working mm. class boys, especially certain areas of the North. And I wonder if, are we sometimes missing out this, this idea of, of, of class in it in, in that we should be obviously we should be focusing on all the things we, we've talked about in terms of how to focus mm. on, on the social side but i wonder do you think that we also missing out on this idea mm. that we need to be focusing on the economic side as well and i mean mm. i hate to use steel that the tories phrase leveling leveling up <laughs> but the, i mean obviously they've they've lost the plot on that but there is there was a grain of truth there in that um we may be missing the trick on income as well do you think in in all this in in all this talk yeah i mean absolutely income is a huge factor and that's why uh, sort of i i do quite a a lot of talking around intersectionality and that's the whole idea of you know the different injustices within injustices so and uh, obviously you talk about the white working class um, boys who are falling behind in education as well you know on a on a terrible scale and then there's also um the black working class boys who are who are falling <laughs> even further behind and the gypsy yeah. and roma and so it's it's a whole thing and with an intersectional approach to these issues, then you focus on, okay, it's not just one element, you know, race is one element and it's a very important element. Class is one element, it's a very important element. Where they intersect, that creates even more injustice that we need to tackle. So, um, yeah, it's, it's absolutely huge and we shouldn't leave any of these elements out of the conversation. At the same time, it's really important not to conflate these elements yes. as well and to sort of say, yes. oh, it's, it's just this or it's just that, you know, which is what tends to happen, I think, from... Uh, well, this particular government <laughs> loves to do yes. it. Like, oh, it's actually about yeah. this. It's not this. It's that. You know, I'm like, well, no. Um, and yeah, and it comes down, I think, to to that sort of humanity, like you know, what is the human story at the center Mm. of all this? And how do we make sure that people are cared for and provided for and, you know, and can just live normal lives? It's it's really difficult in this society. Well, as you say in your book, our road is far, which is a Nigerian (laughs) saying, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, This has been an absolutely amazing, enlightening chat. And I do recommend to everybody, um, you know, picking up a copy of Raising Boys Who Do Better because, yeah, I haven't read the whole thing um, cover to cover, but I can promise you I will do because even just from dipping into it, I got so much from it. And um, and yeah, this is a this is a great book. So thank you very much for for joining us today. Uh, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Two Lit Chicks is a podcast about books that change lives. Find us on all major podcast platforms or go to our website at twolitchicks.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>